Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Smoothie King's new lemonade lineup is here. Lemonade, lemonade, the Smoothie King way. Try a strawberry guava lemonade SK refresher. Over ice. A power up in a cup. Energize. Or a blueberry lemonade smoothie. Blend it up in your cup. Made with real fruit, real juice, for a real sipping good summer. Yum, yum, gotta get some. Smoothie King's new lemonade lineup, all for a limited time. Who's thirsty? Oh, 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 O'Reilly. Stay cool this summer with AC Pro and O'Reilly Auto Parts. Right now, get a $15 O'Reilly Auto Parts gift card after mail-in rebate with the purchase of select AC Pro ready-to-use refrigerant products that include a hose and gauge. Beat the heat before you hit the road with AC Pro at your local O'Reilly Auto Parts store. Oh, 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 O'Reilly Auto Parts. Weekly show on the Blue Room. Everybody's doing okay. Excited for the potential return of Everton, uh, but we've got a few things to get stuck into before then. There's been some developments over the last few days. And of course, we'll continue probably to do a, more of a segment than an Odyssey today, Dave, in regards to uh, our ongoing review of various seasons. Mm. Uh, but we'll get into that. But yeah, Dave Tarley does join me now. Um, and we'll start actually, Dave, on something we, we spoke about yesterday on, on Subs Weekly, really. Uh, a couple of topics, um, obviously yourself and Ben Crawford are on, and we had a chat about the Merseyside derby, where it's going to potentially be played. There some interesting reports on Tuesday night, the, the match was going to be at St Mary's <laughs> against Southampton, uh, at Southampton Stadium, of course, which would have been a bit weird, but um, this morning, uh, as we record this on Wednesday, it was confirmed it's going to be at Goodison Park. Um, how do you feel about that? Bit of relief, not that fussed? Uh, generally not that fussed. I know a lot of people are fussed about it because we, we want to play our home games of Goodison, whether there's people there or not. Um, I think maybe in hindsight, I underplayed the significance that the players would feel in terms of feeling at home, uh, having a sense of familiarity about Goodison, obviously the changing rooms, the setting, um, their pre-match routine, actually travelling to the ground as well. Um, all of those I think will be really important to our players, but from a fan perspective, I wasn't too bothered really because nobody's there. Um, I think common sense has prevailed to an extent uh, because I, I still I still think there's a risk here. And I know I'm in the, in, in the minority and by no means am I saying that we're a city renowned, uh, our people are renowned for sort of rule breaking and things like that. I just I just think it's a, it's a natural instinct if your team's in line to win the Premier League title that, People are going to show up, whether whether you like it or not. You can 
put as, as big a deterrent there as you like, I think people will still show up. Uh, and we'll, you know, it, it will see that, won't we? If Liverpool can win the title against Crystal mm-hmm. Palace, which is a high probability, given the fact that we we will struggle to feel the side of the way this current injury rate's going, which we'll get on to. Um, I, I think that'll be the real acid test. But this one in particular, the Merseyside Derby at Goodison, if Arsenal were to do the unthinkable and go and beat Manchester City in the game before that, then Liverpool, of course, can win the title at Goodison. Now, we've seen some unsavoury moments, I think, between the two clubs. Um, with you know various you know, vandalisms being on both grounds, yeah. you know we've had stuff painted on the walls and stuff like that. I I think that that side of things is the stuff that might get a little bit out of hand if if Liverpool can win the title at Goodison. Um, let's hope and pray they can't because then you know this is just another game for us. Sadly, it's not. There's not much on it from our uh, hopes and aspirations perspective, and there's not much on it. I don't think from an emotive standpoint either because there's no fans there. So um, I, I, we, I think common sense has prevailed because it, it's the, the tainted reputation I feel as if that we as a city tend to get in these situations gets out of hand. We saw it at the last derby at Anfield. The additional police presence was an absolute disgrace in my opinion. Yep. Uh, and, and, and I think they completely shamed us as people of Liverpool that we couldn't, you know, self-police and, and, and there's very, very few instances at Merseyside derbies. I know there's a there's a lot of bitterness and hatred between the two sets of supporters, which I personally don't like, but it never gets to that extent. We're never too... Like you said, too it's fra- more like the, the vandalising, that sort of stupid stuff, isn't it, in recent years? It doesn't feel as though there's like actual any face-to-face confrontations or violence or anything like that. No, there's not. There's not any sort of actual physical animosity between the two sides and I think the... The police embarrassed themselves. Uh, whoever's decision that was to to put, you know, what what looked like a war zone uh, around Anfield. You, you've experienced it much worse than me, Matt, because I was in the posh seats. <laughs> um, you you had to be walked through Stanley Park, and it was pretty intense um, experience, wasn't it, for many fans because they were sort of guided into this the yeah. sort of concourse section. It was effectively, yeah. Yeah, and and that's not nice. Within within twenty twenty now, and um, you know I think our city, our people, uh, regardless of the football allegiances, should be trusted to act in a in a decent manner. There's always going to be idiots. There's idiots at every game. People, football fans get arrested at the most menial of football matches. The friendlies. That's just the way it is. That you know, but we certainly didn't want a few spoiling for the many, and it felt as if that the police were sort of a. Uh, Almost, you know, it was a self-fulfilling prophecy for them. So, yeah, I, I, I think it's the right decision. I think it's a sensible decision. And let's just hope it passes without incident and we don't sort of prove these detractors right about the people of Liverpool when it comes to football yeah. fans. That's like my biggest fear in all this now. It's it's not the prospect of Liverpool winning the league at Gullison Park because, to be honest, the from a selfish point of view, when this was muted as a possibility earlier in the season... I just kept thinking, I don't want to be there to see that and feel that and have that forever yeah. etched in my you know, psyche as, as an Evertonian. It's not what we, we want. I think if it happens in an empty stadium, all right, they'll say they want it to go to some part for years and we'll just say, well, it wasn't really a, a proper football match, was it? So I don't really care too much about that side of it. It's just, you know, I've seen videos today of um, Coventry City fans. I don't know if you've seen any of them, Dave. So they were obviously confirmed, as we spoke about on Subs Weekly, in regards to the points per game. Yeah. They were confirmed as champions in, in League One. 
and I've gone up and there's loads loads of Coventry City fans out in the streets celebrating no yeah. social distancing observed and, and that sort of stuff and of course when it's League One and it's Coventry it doesn't really pierce that that bubble of the national press and then, you know the, maybe the national football media but if something like this was to happen in in our city then like you said there it's it, it would be held up and it would be shared across this country and the world and it would be another stick for the Tabitha's with yeah, it would, and and also what you've got to think about, Matt, is you what you've just said there. I think in in you sort of scale it up to the nth degree, don't you? With it being Liverpool and the size of their fan base, and the, look, there's no way. And I, and I understand, you know, what I've been trying to get at from this perspective is it's not a case of trust. It's not a case of um, people acting like idiots, and it's, and it's certainly not a case of of me singling out Liverpool fans as as you know a group of people who. Take the Lord into their own hands and and go out and, and and do something silly like those Coventry fans did. It's simply a numbers game, you know. If you get if you say, say you get a small, even less than a one percent uh, group of people showing up at Goodison or Anfield, you're still talking tens of thousands of people, hmm. um, and and that that's the risk because it will happen. It's human nature for it to happen. It's probably something I think you'd have to go against all of your your sort of natural uh, inclinations in order to not feel that way because you want to celebrate a moment like that. They haven't won the title for 30 years. But I'd, I'd be saying exactly the same thing if it was Evertonians. People, people, people will do it. I'm, I'm almost certain that it will happen. Um, it's just the, in, the insinuation, I think, from the governing bodies was the thing that was out of order and the thing that really made me quite worried because... You know, you do have that the, the sticks ready to beat you with if you get what I mean, Matt. Yeah. You, you, this, this that stood there on the side of the pitch, effectively waiting for it to kick off and 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 then and then go through the whole told you so episode. Um, and we all we all know this city can do far without any sort of discrimination against our our fans and the people of our city, given what we've witnessed in the past. So, I mean, I'm I'm, I'm glad in a way that. It's it's behind closed doors because it could get really unsavoury if Liverpool. It, it, look, if times were normal and COVID nineteen didn't exist, Liverpool coming to Goodison Park, able to win the Premier League title, would throw up all manner of issues, um, yeah. and and it'd just be a, a case of cheap points scoring both on social media and in real life. And you know we we don't ever want to see some of the things that happen on social media break into the realm. Of, of reality uh, hopefully they just stay in the confines of the internet and a virtual space rather than a real one um, but from from our point of view as well I, I, I've I have changed my mind a little bit I'm, I'm glad we're playing at Goodison I'm glad that there's no advantage for us and it, it won't feel like a home game in the slightest as we know no matter what measures they put in place some of which Border on the bazaar. If you look at some of the uh, the fans' forum suggestions, we yeah. missed the testicles standing behind the goal and things YMCA like that. Banner. I actually, uh, I actually quite like it. The frivolity of that. I think it's quite funny if we just actually took the piss rather than <laughs> you know rather than actually try and take it seriously and create an atmosphere that's just not going to be there. Um, but yeah, like I said, going back to my first point, I think the familiarity for the players will be important. Um, but it's not going to feel like a real derby. Let's face it. Yeah, I mean that's fair enough. And to my final point on this, it, you know the the integrity of the competition throughout this season now and the remainder of the season is going to be questioned regardless. But maybe it's not as as bad by the fact we're playing at Goodson Park and, and not at Southampton. So in that sense, it's it, it's got to be considered a good thing. Um, 
So yeah, uh, Goodison Park, Merseyside Derby next Sunday. Um, next week, obviously, we'll be building up to that again, which is going to be nice. Nice to get back into a routine of talking about football matches and previewing football matches. So yeah, it's, it'll be it'll be nice to revert to some feeling of normality, even though we we'd all be on our jollies right now, wouldn't we? We'd have bucket loads of feature based content going out. And well, I think the Euros were set to start this week, weren't they? Was it this 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 early? Was it? Um, but you you know you, you think about it, and and if. I'm as as most people who listen to our show, our regulars will know. There'd be no surprise to them. They're not. I'm not particularly enamoured with the restart of the season, and, and I'm not particularly excited at seeing Premier League football. Uh, I'd much rather we waited until everybody was able to go to a match again, um, for for a whole manner of reasons. I think that everybody's been through it millions of times in the lockdown. I think it's all. That's the only content I think many places can find is getting people's views on how it restarts. You know, do you null and void? Do you do points per game? I think that's uh, it's. You know, everybody's had their say on it by now, and everybody knows everybody else's say on it. I think it's quite boring, and um, there's sort of there's a monotony to that right now. I think changing tact and talking about some actual football will be good, not from just a content perspective, but also. For people's peace of mind, I think there's a there's a mental side of this that has gone unnoticed. People need this outlet in their lives, and I think having had none of it, it makes you really miss it. Uh, even speaking to somebody who's highly skeptical of the restart, I'll be happy to see some football. Yeah, totally agree with you there. Um, and it's just like I said, it's just gonna be nice to talk about it. Um, in regards to what lads Everton might put on the pitch, is another matter. Is <laughs> another matter entirely because. Yeah. You know, about lunchtime today, I saw some rumours swelling about Andre Gomez and I thought, oh, these are, these are a load of rubbish that didn't really seem to be verified. And then yeah. Paul Joyce tweeted earlier on saying that um, not only is Andre Gomez missing training this week and, you know, a bit of a doubt for next week, but Theo Walcott's going to be out for, for around four weeks as well. Um, I'm led to believe as well that there's, there's other players that are struggling with, with issues behind the scenes as well, which more might come out in, in the next few days. And obviously, Michael Keane's been speaking this week as well about how he's, he felt he had. I don't know if he said he had he confirmed he had coronavirus, but he had some sort of some sort of coronavirus as well and respiratory problems. So um, you know, it certainly doesn't seem as though the squad's in really health, Dave, in the build up to this game. And you know, I've, I've seen a lot of other supporters sort of you know looking at pictures of their plays and training, and you know, reading reports, and you know, effectively saying that. You know, it feels as though their side are raring to go and are going to hit the ground running. It doesn't feel like that for us, does it? No, and again, everybody's used to this sort of narrative with Everton being the guinea pigs in situations like this, aren't they? And um, very much sort of a side that if everybody, you know, if the worst is going to happen, then it happens to Everton, and that and it feels like this once again, doesn't it? It feels like we're in that situation where. Anything can go wrong, will go wrong. We're already up against it. We're playing the champions-elect at a ground where we have no home advantage whatsoever. Um, we have no momentum from a crowd who, who, like Ben said yesterday, will be baying for blood if Liverpool were to come to Goodison and they needed to win it in tight like Goodison. I'm pretty sure it'd be one of the best and most vociferous atmospheres we've seen at the old lady for many a year. That's been taken away from us uh, through nobody's fault of course but that's just the way of the, that's just the lay of the land that it is a Merseyside derby that essentially is the first fixture that got cancelled when COVID-19 was confirmed upon the UK um, and then now we're in a situation where at least three of our first team starters 
are unable to take to the field. Now, if Michael Keane's out, that is really catastrophic because it leaves us with one fit, um, dedicated central defender in Mason Holgate. So I was referring to what he said. He, he had, he had, he said he a couple of weeks ago he wasn't feeling great, was he as well? Right. So that's just. I, I think he's been training this week, as far as I'm concerned. But right. No, well, yeah, I mean, I mean the, the thing is, though, I mean, you, what you said there, you see other teams training, and you see players on their social media accounts saying, can't wait to get back started and stuff. Ours seems to be a little bit more sombre uh, since the return. And, and obviously the reason why is because half of our players have either not up to speed, won't, won't be up to speed, or not even going to have the opportunity to be up to speed because they're out injured. So we've got at least three out in, in Mina, um, Walcott and... Who's the other one? Gabamon. Gabamon, yeah. Uh, um, Sideland's out as well, isn't he? He had surgery in February, so he's not going to be available. Yeah, so I mean, you, you, that that midfield, which we've spoken about so often as being a really poor uh, arm of the team, is being dealt a hammer blow even before we've kicked the ball here. You know, it's not like they got injured during games, they got injured before it restarts. Uh, it makes me at this point really thankful, Matt, that we're on 38 points and relatively safe <laughs> in the Premier League because. Uh, Look, I mean, it'll be interesting to see, I think, as well, how fans control this. Because, say, for instance, we were to lose the derby, which we're going to be favourites to do, and then we go to Norwich, I think, in the second game, uh, who who will still be fighting for their lives um, and still within a mathematical chance of staying in the Premier League. And then we go away home to Leicester, is it, the one after that? Yeah. I mean, there are three games that Everton, given the depleted squad, are going to find really tough, if we're honest. I, I, I can't see us winning too many of those uh, those first three back. You know, it's. It, I wonder how fans will take it. Will they take it constantly with the context of it being almost a mini-season after the real sort of campaign? I think if we, they... don't, if we don't do well, then they won't. I, I, can't, I, can't, I mean, can you imagine? Can you imagine going on Twitter after, say, we lost the Norwich away and people going, oh, this, it, it's all fine, this, it's... You know, it's not real football, it's behind closed doors. I think the knives would be out. I, well, I, I, I think the knives would be out. For, but I, I think we'll we'll see those extremities that we see uh, even more in an even more extreme way, if you get what I mean. So those who, who are quite calm about these things, who always say, well, you know, you have to take it with a pinch of salt type of thing. This is not even real football. That's what you'll get a lot of people making excuses um, maybe even for individual players. We see that a lot, don't we? There's, there's people who have their favourites who get away with murder, um, who people won't go in on, and then you'll get somebody like you who vilify quite a lot, like maybe a Schneiderlin or mm. a Tom Davis, and, and people start wading in on them. Uh, whereas other people will say, well, you know, are they really up for this? Because it doesn't really matter to us because we're going to finish mid-table anyway. Um, so I, I just think you'll see that sort of under the under the microscope a lot more, really, in, in how people perceive all of this. But what what it means to me as well, and and I think I've seen some some interesting information today about the the wage deferrals that we were announced yesterday. People are talking uh, that there's an ulterior motive to this, and and that is that it'll help Everton get around some FFP issues. And you know we we were going quite close to the line, weren't we? Mm. And the, the recent accounts were announced that we were need within like ten million quid of stepping over that that line of, of breaching FFP regulations. And a lot of people are saying now that these deferrals will end up going into the following uh, year of accounts. So that means it frees up a little bit more cash 
And then I've seen others say that, you know, basically we don't have any funds to spend in the summer and it's just going to be loans, like the piece that Phil Kirkbride wrote a couple of weeks ago. Mm. That, to me, is the more concerning thing, Matt. I'm not, I'm not looking too far ahead in terms of what Everton look like next season and when it restarts, because you'd imagine there's going to be quite a quick turnaround. You could see the new campaign perhaps starting in September, maybe mid to late September. If Everton can't buy any players and you know we still have these niggling injuries, we still have, let's face it, a pretty poor to average squad anyway. That is the thing that concerns me more about these uh, this restart because we, we will need to, I mean, we say it every year, don't we? We take momentum into the summer. We can win our last few games or whatever it is. And invariably, it doesn't really matter because we'll, we'll start the season quite poorly or, or better than it was anyway, so it won't really matter. But here, I think it does, simply because there'll be such a quick turnaround and Everton have to supplement this squad. It's it's a necessity for them to get some new players in. Well, it could, in the same breath, be very similar squad. So you could, well, you know, you know exactly that which... might be more important than ever because, you know, effectively, yep. you're not going to have that turnaround in the summer that we all sort of want. It's going to be the same group of lads, effectively. Yeah, and, and that's, a, that's a massive concern. For me, uh, I know people will talk about how Carlo Ancelotti can can work these miracles, and by and large, I think he's already worked a miracle with the points tally we've been able to get since he come in. Obviously, mixed with the the couple of games Duncan Ferguson had beforehand, getting us to thirty eight points at this stage for me, given the fact we were in the bottom three when he took over, is as good as we could have possibly done. Uh, and and now we're looking at a squad, I think, where you think well. The pieces are there in in brands in in Ancelotti in uh, a lot of what the ideology is at the football club now, and it seems to have a real plan and a real focus. But the irony of the situation is the era I think of Farhad Mashiri putting his hand into his massively deep pockets is gone, and and that seems to me the only way we'd be able to finance big moves in the summer is if he puts his hand in the pocket because we're not we're not able to do it from generating our own revenue. Um, we're not able to do it through player sales because who do you sell? I mean, the only, the only, there's, there's one player in that squad, maybe two players in that squad you think have got a real resale value the clubs might come in for, and that's the front two in yeah. Richarlison and Calvert-Lewin. I'd, I'd be very surprised if nobody comes in, if there's no one comes in for Richarlison this summer uh, when the window reopens. I think he's a sitting duck for many clubs. They'll obviously have to spend through the noses to get him. But I think... You know, we saw the links with Barcelona, didn't we? Um, yeah. Michael Silva's actually been talking about them this week, Matt, as well, yeah, on, yeah. on Sky. He's resurfaced. It's good to see him looking well. And, <laughs> um, and, and, and you know, we'll always stand by. He's a really nice guy who you sort of wish it worked out for. Sadly, it didn't. But, you know, they're the only avenues we've got, I think, to generate transfer funds to spend unless Machiri decides to go back on what he said, importantly, yeah, yeah. which was that he's not a sort of gravy train anymore and Everton need to stand on their own two feet. So I I, I am concerned, I think, Matt, for the sort of um, near to mid-future of how we get this squad sorted, despite the fact we've got one of the best managers ever to, to enter the game. Yeah, it's going to be a challenge. It's going to be a challenge for everyone. And I think what you're going to get throughout the Premier League as well is you're probably going to get like gulfs between certain sides. I think they'll be like the, the team that gets this done the best and do this the best in regards to the restart are going to be right up here and then, you know, potentially higher than everybody else. And the one that gets it the worst is going to be really low down. I think you will you will see a couple of teams just tank, sort of like what Schalke have done in the Bundesliga. 
we just you just don't look ready. You just don't look ready to be back playing football and the losing games, the shipping goals, that got no confidence whatsoever. And you just hope that's not us. Um, but with the injuries and stuff we've got, it's it's going to be hard to sort of certainly get points on the board from that first game. But uh, yeah, well, you have to hope. I think, mate, you, you've got to put your faith in lads who have previously let us down, which is you know not a great place to start, is it? Because we we've. We've had enough of all that. We've had enough of giving these a lot of these players second, third, fourth, fifth chances, whatever it is, and they've they've re- repeatedly let us down. You just hope, don't you? And and it's a it's a difficult one to sort of pin your hat to, but you just hope that they've changed. Maybe um, it's been a real epiphany type of thing for them. This this COVID nineteen. You know, you look at a player, maybe even like Theo Walcott, who's obviously injured for the for the time being with an abdominal surgery, but you look at somebody like him who thinks well, he's sitting there thinking, well, have I got how long have I got left in my career? Maybe a couple of years um, at the highest level, possibly looking to move to China or the USA to finish his career. You hope that he's sitting there thinking, Do you know what, I've still got, I, I need to go and prove myself here. And I hope a lot of them have taken stock to how fans feel about them. Sigurdsson, for instance, let's hope that he's gone home and when he's doing his, his his training with the with the Everton staff on the uh, on Zoom on this platform, Matt, let's hope he's sitting there thinking, Do you know what? I'm sick to death of being slagged off at this football club. I'm going to pull my socks up and show what I'm really worth. I really hope that that's the case. It's also you, know, you, you look at what you know. I'm not putting too much pressure on the manager here by all means because he's still you know relatively new to the role. But it, it's these not this exact situation, but it's these unfamiliar situations where you've got injuries. You know, something mad's happening in the game. You've got players underperforming. You need to just be a little bit cannier and a little bit cleverer and smart with your tactics and ice at the team up. This is sort of where you look at someone like Angelotti and compare it to other managers in the Premier League and say, well, this is you know, this this is why we're effectively paying this fella so much. When yeah. it comes to these sorts of scenarios and coaching and getting more out of players and, you know, tactically being astute, uh, rotating the squad properly because obviously we're going to have a lot of games, albeit you know we haven't got many lads to rotate <laughs> at the moment in that regard. But this, you, you get what I'm saying. This is where someone yeah. like him should effectively, be, you know, if not the best in the Premier League, it's certainly among the top five managers in the Premier League. At just doing those little bits and pieces, sorts of styles of management that you need to, to get results in these sorts of times. Right, well, I think that's an excellent point because. They're the qualities I think that we've asked from him from the start. I think obviously not to this this level because he will have to do some serious thinking outside of the box here. Mm. But you think about the continuation of Duncan's four four two. You think about the, the various changes that he's made, um, even the, the, the smaller ones. Despite the fact he hasn't had his best midfielder available um, until until Gomez come back, um, the, the, the you know the, the sort of reinvigoration of certain players, Mason Holgate coming to the fore. There, there have been small success stories, I think, that have been solely down to Ancelotti's um, skills in, in the regard that you're talking about, Matt. And boy, will we need them more than ever when, when the restart comes about because it, it's all... I mean, he, he must... I'd, I'd love to know his genuine thoughts. I know we'd never get them publicly, but I'd, I'd just love to know, firstly what he was promised when he came in. And and secondly, what he thinks about the hand he's been dealt so far. Because all he's been given is is, you know, a mishmash of mediocrity, 
I would I would go as far as saying I, I feel as if the obviously we haven't been able to because we haven't had the transfer window since he's come in. But I feel as if we have had the transfer window. Have we had the transfer yeah, window? Yeah, with January, didn't we? With January. Quite um, going to sign anyone. In that. Yeah, it was it was already written, wasn't it, that we weren't going to sign anybody in January. But Maybe we hadn't had that spell on the Duncan and we were right down the bottom. They might have shelled out on you know, a couple of players. Oh, they would have had to. Yeah, they, they would have had to do that. They would have had to put their hand in the pockets then. But I, I just feel as if the, he hasn't been given a fair crack of the whip in regards to knowing how good he's going to be for Everton. We know how good he is elsewhere. We know what he's done in, throughout his career. And to me, it looks, if you were an outsider looking in at this, Matt, it looks more and more of a gamble from Ancelotti's reputation. Um, because I, I, can't, I can seldom think about a, a time in his career where, he, where he'll have had these circumstances to work with him. Um, so it'll be a massive test for him. And you just hope that the club finds some way of supporting him beyond uh, the end of this season. Because obviously, with hands are tied at the moment. He's going to do what he can. From a tactical point of view, I completely get what you're saying there. He has to find different ways of trying to make something work here. By hook or by crook, we need to pick up points and we need to finish the season with a bit of momentum to go into, which is effectively a back-to-back campaign. Um, but I just hope the club is ready and waiting when we can to be able to say to them, look, we've, we've been able to get a little bit of freedom in the transfer market. There's funds there. And look, you know, whatever you want to do loan wise, we, yeah. we'll supplement that as well. Uh, otherwise, you sort of you do start thinking, well, what's what's the point in him coming here if he's not being given the assurances that he can kick us on to the next level? Yeah, absolutely. And you say there about you know how the club are going to have to support him um, regards to players. Um, the feel good news story on on Tuesday night was that um, the players and the, the first team staff are supporting the club and the local community and, and the fans as well. And you know, like sort of harking back to Subs Weekly again, Dave, you were very downbeat about football clubs and their approach to the game. Obviously, yeah. you spoke a lot about Tramia Rovers and, you know, what was a, a desperately disappointing day for them on Tuesday, being relegated by 0.04 points on the points per game uh, ratio in, in, in League One. Um, but Everton get it right when it comes to this sort of thing, don't they, again? And, you know, the, the statements from Denise Barrett-Baxendale made it clear this was a, a voluntary decision from from all of the football club in that regard. You've got some of the, the first-team staff who are deferring 50% of the wages. Um, you've got some, I think it's all the, the board and Carlo Ancelotti and his staff uh, deferring 30% of the wages. And it's just nice, isn't it? When, when, when so many football clubs at this time are, are acting, you know, like you said, they're in their own self-interest and have sort of gone into a bit of an, an insular mode. And, and let's not forget, we've got you know a club very close to us that made, have made really bad decisions in regards to treating their employees and, and you know, and, and the local yeah. community. You know, Everton, just, Everton are on the pulse with this sort of thing, aren't they? And, and, and they've got it right again. Well, it's a common sense approach, Matt, but the where it sticks out like a sore thumb is the fact that many, if not all, uh, other football clubs don't seem to have even a remnant of common sense in situations like this. We're at an unprecedented time of crisis. And you've got Everton sort of sticking the head up of the parapet and saying, do you know what? We're going to look after the people that are nearest and dearest to us and close to us. Uh, I think it's important to state it's a deferral, yeah. not a uh, cut. Donation. Yeah, so they will get this back at, at some point. But the, the fact that they're essentially going short, and look, I'm not going to sit here and say Premier League footballers um, need the money uh, and, and say that this would be a difficult decision for them. But in the absence of anybody else doing it, it makes it a real good, a real good feel-good story. Do you know what I mean? It makes it, it's heartwarming 
to know that they're doing this. And in particular, Bill Kenwright and Farhad Mashiri matching yeah. the donations from the season ticket refunds. I think it's impeccable. That is a donation. That that is that is that is a donation of four hundred thousand pounds each, um, which I I think is phenomenal, isn't it? it? It's it's brilliant to see that go into such a good cause, straight into Everton in the community, so they can continue their great work and what they're doing. And there's no downside to that. I don't think anybody, even even Bill Kenwright's biggest detractors, of which we know there are quite a few, couldn't deny that this is a a big and bold. St- Statement that they're in full support of of the community side of the football club. Um, I've seen many Everton. I think I think the tone from most Blues Matt has been, why can't we just get this right on the pitch? Because we do everything else so well. <laughs> um, and yeah, for the for the players to take those deferrals, it, it's a big statement. It is. It, it's sort of look. Many would say it's the least he can do, um, but no, nobody else is doing it. So yeah, you know, it, it, they should be commended for that reason alone because they could have. Um, rebuffed all of this they could have sat there and said well you know Liverpool aren't doing it Aston Villa aren't doing it everybody else is sitting tight and getting the money in as normal why can't we do that the fact they've taken a what looks to be a moral and social obligation to this is is really nice to see and yeah that, that, that it made me smile and it made me proud to be a blue yesterday yeah and like, like you said there just Obviously, the four hundred thousand pound that was raised by supporters was from the the refund process yeah. for the season tickets for this season. So, again, not, bravo not, to them. Yeah. Well, uh, well, there you go, Matt. I mean, look, we're quick to to praise the players and the club for their handling of this, but you know, the real the real praise should go to the fans who've been able to yeah. donate this money um, because that is out of your back pocket. Do you know what I mean? That that is out of all of us collectively saying well you know it's more important to help those who need it more than us uh, and I know obviously there were, there were a few um, discerning voices in how this was handled and the club came through with flying colours I can't have a bad way to say about how they handled it in the end handled it discreetly as as I call for personally a, a month or so ago and, and that side of things has been handled impeccably and to see so many people who were you know so willing to not take what is rightfully theirs, essentially. It's like if you buy something you don't like, you get the refund, it goes back into your bank. You don't think about donating that to charity. But in this case, because we have such a noble and worthy cause in Everton community, people have felt obliged to donate that money. And I think it's a, it's a wonderful thing. Um, it's, a, it's a great reflection on the people of, of our city and our football club that they're willing to do that. At a time where you know everything's really difficult in regards to working conditions, and um, you know nobody nobody's planned for this. Nobody's got a coronavirus account yeah. uh, where, where they've put money away in case there's another global pandemic. They might do in the future, yeah. uh, <laughs> given that anything could possibly happen with the way the world is right now. But uh, yeah, it's it's superb. So you know everybody should be either giving themselves a pat on the back or patting everybody else on the back because it's been a great 24 hours. For, for Everton fans, I think, and, and showing you what that football club means to people. 100%. Uh, it's nice to feel good about being a blue, isn't it? And certainly that side of it, we, we do. And you know, Well, it's great, that, isn't it? Because I we've think, got a nice, yeah. nice what, what is it, 10 days until we, we feel bad about being blue. So yeah. it's nice to have a little bit of a honeymoon period. You know, I think in, in the season, when we get stories about Everton in the community and you know, the great things they do, I think it's, it's, it is easy to get lost. It's easy to get lost, like these sorts of things the football club do, because inevitably there's a loss around the corner and a focus goes to that. You know, these sorts of gestures fall through the cracks and you get people saying, you know, 
a throwaway line of why can't we be as good, you know, at football as we are at the community side of things. But I think it's 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 in these times now where you sort of, you know, you do actually appreciate it a bit more. You don't just take it for granted that this is, you know, a part of the football club. Because like you said, you look around and, and there's not other outfits doing these sorts of things. It is effectively a football club who have been pioneers in that sense. And it feels as though they're always that in regards to this sort of thing. So great stuff from Everton in that regard. Uh, one other thing, Dave, I wanted to ask you about before we... Um, Done a bit on the summer of 2013. See John Joe, John Joe Kenny's goal at the weekend? I haven't seen it. No, I, it was, a, was it a screamer or are people just saying it was a screamer? It was a great hit. It was a really good hit, yeah. So I'll do my best to describe it to you, yeah. Effectively picks it up in the, the right back slot as, as Schalke are attacking. Cuts inside a little bit, so he's on like sort of level with the, the vertical bit of the, uh, the 18 yard box and just smashes it across the keeper into the bottom corner. Yeah. I'll yeah. have to check it out. Great. I mean, he's he's coming for a little bit of a dog's life, hasn't he? Because he's I think been he's been the... one of the better players in all this. To be fair, you know, he's not. Yeah. I've watched them a few times since they resumed. But certainly in the game at the weekend against Union Berlin, they, they got absolutely annihilated for half an hour, and they could have been three or four nil down, and, and his goal got them one one. But you know, I think the one thing you'd say about him, whether you think he's limited or, or not, he's, he's not someone who goes hiding or shaking the ball. Or no, you always see someone quite confidence in his dribble, he tries to get his team on the pitch and that side of things and you just sort of hope that this adversity will, you know, give a bit of an edge when he comes back to Everton, but you know, potentially not the, the most ideal situation for him currently. Yeah, it's he's got a touch of the Tom Davises about him, hasn't he? As in he, he doesn't he doesn't care for what other people think. Yeah. And that that's a really important attribute to have. Um look whether whether he's good enough or not is is probably an argument for another day. But Given what he's had to go through, and I, and I put Tom Davis in this category, and, uh, I think we've touched upon it before. But you look at their journey as Everton players has been, you know, anything but smooth. Hmm. Uh, Calvert Lewin included in that as well. Probably a little bit of Mason Holgate, but these lads who were just thrown into the frying pan by the likes of Cumin, Allardyce, Marco Silva, and come away as scapegoats effectively. Uh, look, I, I'll call a spade a spade. If they play poorly, they've played poorly. I'll say about Tom Davis. I think the lad needs to be loaned out. But and 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 you know, fair play to John Joe Kenny for going to a huge league in in Germany and trying to front it on on the on the biggest stage. You know, it would have been so easy for him to take the option of going to you know a club in lower down the divisions in England where he's not under the microscope. But this. You know, he, he's on telly every week and, and look at pure coincidence that the Bundesliga is the first main league to restart yeah. in the lockdown. He, he's under the microscope even more, Matt. So, fair, fair play to him for fronting up. Um, and, and it's in this adversity, and we've seen it, that Dominic Carvalhoon is the perfect example of this. The footballers, when they're up against it and suffering and not playing well and perhaps having a fragility to even the mental side of the game. And these are any young kids we're talking about here. It's often that very thing that makes them come back even better. And we've seen it in Dom's case. And let's hope we see it in John Joe Kenny and Tom Davis in that, look, you've been battered from pillar to post in your young career for two, three, Davis's case, maybe four years. Can, Can this serve as a positive for them in the future? Can they come back stronger? John Joe Kenny's a little bit different, I think. I I, I think there's something about him. I, I think it, it's very, very um, 
harsh to write him off to the extent at which I think many people have. He might well not be good enough, but I think given given our squad and the players we've brought in for big money, he's not disgraced himself to the extent of some of the others. I mean, he, oh, you know, no, absolutely not. You know, you look at Snyder and Sigurdsson, two, two that just roll off the tongue now as, as whipping boys, and rightly so for their performances in a blue shirt. But you've got John Joe Kenny, a local lad, who'll be on one twentieth of the money, I would imagine, who wears his heart in his sleeve and is putting everything in for this football club. He, above them, is the type of player that deserves, I think, a little bit more leeway. But yeah, it seems to be the reverse with, with Everton fans, doesn't yeah. it? It's like, well, we've paid this money for Schneider and he's got to come good at some point. He's got to still be in the team. Whereas John Joe Kenny, local lad, let's write him off straight away. Uh, and, and look, I've been guilty of it in the past. But, you know, maybe in, in hindsight again, Matt, you, you look at these players and think they, they need a little bit more of a chance because all they've had is a dog's life uh, un, in, in the worst circumstances imaginable with Sam Allardyce breathing down the neck. <laughs> yeah, fair enough. Uh, fingers crossed he can come through. I, 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 I quite like him. I'm not ready to write him off either, like you said. Yeah, I think he's got... Well, you've, the, I know you, you look at the scousest player we've had for a while. I'd say, That's yeah, I'm yeah, like. if uh, probably two scouts to be honest, but he just looks scouse, doesn't he? He's just yeah, if, people. like if, if you saw him in a lineup, you have to say where people are from, in which part of the country. You'd look at John Joe Kenny and say, yeah, he's a scouser, hundred percent. Yeah, absolutely. But you know, and you, you look at the the right back situation. The football club's very much in the air, isn't it? You've got uh, James Coleman, who looks like he's coming towards the end of his career. He's certainly on the downward trajectory, and you've got Jibril Sadibi, who. I mean, I don't know, would you go and sign him or don't you? I mean, a lot of people saying £13 million is too much. I, I don't think he's he's pulled up any trees, really. I think he's had moments where he's looked like a really good attacking fullback. But then he's had defensive moments where I've thought, you, you, you're pretty useless and you don't belong in the Premier League. So that, that space is up for grabs there. So you know, nothing that pleased me more than to see someone like John Joe Kenny go and grab the ball by the horns in that regard. Yeah, um, final five minutes then. Uh, we will just quickly have a chat about summer of 2013. Maybe setting up this for, for, for another time. I don't know if we'll do it on next week's show or just a, a show of its own, but we will get into it at some point. Um, so take yourself back, Dave, seven years ago, or nearly seven years ago. Everton had just finished seventh in the Premier League under David Moyes. Um, he'd left the club, lots of tears at Goodison Park, he'd gone to Manchester United. We were on the, the brink of a, a new era. Um, apart from Roberto Martinez, who obviously got the job, who do you remember being linked to it at the time? Some really poor names, to be <laughs> honest with you. I remember Owen Coyle was in the mix. Um, was he actually? I've not even got his name written. Yeah, now. yeah. Owen, Owen Coyle was, I think he was managing in America, might have been at that point, but he had that relatively successful, I know we took them down, but he had that relatively successful spell at Burnley, um, where they were high flyers at one point, I think the first season of the Premier League, they actually beat us at Turf Moor and Man United within a couple of days, he was there, um, there was Malky Mackay, yeah, he's on the list he, he was linked, but the, the ones that put the fear of God up me were the former Blue Brigade, to be honest Matt, yeah. Phil Neville looked the favourite for it for quite a long time, and that was petrifying. Not not because it was any sort of um, slight against him. It was the fact that it was a reflection of where the f- football club quite clearly felt it was. And yeah. there was a lot of ire once again thrown towards Bill Kenwright, and this time it was justified because... 
there's a there's a diligence process that you go through when you're hiring a new manager. I completely understand that, particularly in the summer, you need to take your time. But in one breath, I think we were linked with like like said Ralph Ranić and, yeah. and people like that. And then in another breath, it was big dunk David Unsworth, Kevin Sheedy, and Phil Neville well, and Alan want, Stubbs. Do you want some of the names I've got here? So Vito well, Pereira, I think, was in there as well, wasn't he? Yeah, Vito, Vito Pereira's raised, reared his head a few times, hasn't he, with, with the Everton job when it's been on the yeah. line. Uh, David yeah, yeah. Phil Neville, Alan Stubbs were all interviewed for it as well. Um, yeah, and, and, and that shows you, that is indicative of what we said at, on the last episode of the, the sort of um, Moyes final season. In the Everton weren't ready for this. We were ready for it as fans. The football club didn't have a clue which way to turn here. And Martinez comes about I think solely based on winning that FA Cup I'd go as far as saying had Wigan not beaten Manchester City that day I don't think Roberto Martinez would have got a crack at the Everton job yeah because I think he might well have been in their plans but I think you can't sell him coming to us having been relegated and lost an FA Cup final I I think that was it was that big Ben Watson's header (laughs) I think effectively gets Roberto Martinez the Everton job I think as well, looking at this list, what it says to me, I, I can't remember which managers were available this summer by any means, but, you know, what we said in last week's... Loudrup, Loudrup. Loudrup was in there as well. Yeah. Just the, other, the other two names I had on the list there were, were Loudrup and Neil Lennon. So, I mean, Loudrup at the time was my dream. I remember we, we did yeah. so many shows. Um, he, he was sort of the fashionable choice, wasn't he? Because he's good, this good-looking, world-class footballer. Uh, who'd work wonders at Swansea again? Won them a trophy, and it felt to me like that was the natural choice. I was begging for Loudrup to come to Goodison, um, and I, obviously it didn't materialise. And then he went on to, I think, have, have a real poor end to his time at Swansea. And I don't think he's been has he been back in management since? I've no idea. I've no idea. On Certainly that. not in an elite league. And uh, that that to me, I, I remember when Martinez was was announced and. I felt really underwhelmed by the selection. I thought, okay, you look at the list of candidates, which, which again we'll touch upon in, back in the second map. But you know, I, I thought, I, I just can't get excited about this. I really can't, simply because one of the main reasons was the horrible defensive record he had at Wigan. It was dreadful. He conceded. So I remember people pulling out stats from everywhere. Something like two hundred goals in three seasons. Wasn't that, it? That's exactly. I was just going to say that exactly that, um, and it was it was pathetic. And you, you can't you can't say that that's what you want from your next Everton man. I don't care how good he is attacking. I don't even care that he's won an FA Cup. You you come to Goodison with a record like that, and and there's only one thing I'm thinking, and it's relegation. To be honest with you, yeah. Um, if, it, it, I think all the Blues would would tell you it might have been a similar sort of appointment to Mike Walker in, in certain ways. This sort of hot shot who looked like he was going to be something else. Um, it looked like he could very much go and dominate at a, at a football club, and 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 just you know he was looking for the next big move. In Mike Walker's case, it was Norwich to Everton. In his case, it was Wigan to Everton from Roberto Martinez. But those are the candidates. Matt, just going back to my initial point. If you're interviewing Phil Neville, who hadn't even retired yet at this point, hmm. um, you know what what is going on there? That the alarm bells and warning signs should be ringing off the hook for people. If you're getting rid of a manager after eleven years, who's guided you to you know 
annually European competition to appointing one of his players. That to me is a really scary thought, and it, it proved to me that the board and everybody else making the decisions at the club simply hadn't planned for this whatsoever. Well, what, what, that's, that's sort of what I was going to ask you. Do you think? Because, like, like I said earlier on, I, I don't remember which managers were available in that summer for the life of me. You know, I'd have to go back and, and check. But having spoken about Moises last season on the previous show and the shape of the squad, and it wasn't perfect by any means. But this, like you said, this was a team that was regularly challenging for European football. Not been that much money spent on it. There were solid foundations in there, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Looking back at that list of names and the appointment we ultimately made, do you think it was a lack of preparedness for Moyes to go, or do you think it was just a lack of ambition? Because you look at that, and, and at the time, maybe when we're in it, and you, you know you're thinking about Everton, you think we can't really track you know some of these managers across across European football. But if you just finished sixth or seventh the previous season, and you're finishing there regularly, you've got some good young players coming through. You know, Barkley. This is the season Barkley burst onto the scene, wasn't it? Thirteen, fourteen. John Stones has arrived at the football club as well. It, it feels it feels though Everton should have maybe been a bit bolder in all this because approaching some of those names and you know eventually getting Martinez, it feels as though they didn't really they didn't really go to the best manager they thought they could possibly get. They sort of thought right, we'll settle for halfway up the list and, and start interviewing people there. Yeah, I definitely think that that's an argument you can make because. You know, you think of Everton standing at that point, it was still that best of the rest tag, wasn't it? It was still, you know, you've got your top four. Um, Spurs obviously creeping into it back then. Um, and, and obviously Man, Man City getting ahead of steam as well, you know, winning the Premier League. Um, you know, you, you looked at that and you thought, if there was a way to show fans that we're not going down this route of um, regression rather than progression, then you go and go, similar to what we've done really, go and get yeah. look at somebody like an Ancelotti and you try and upset the apple cart. But yet, you know, you, you think back to that time, it was still the Robert Elston and Bill Kenwright show. Um, it was very much a consolidatory period of time. I look back on it for Everton and we were very, very, very fortunate, I think, that we had those seasons of the Moyes because it really helped um, Elston and Kenwright, I think, keep a lid on everything. Because fans were ready to explode on them, and went at any given time, really, and that was usual. Usually, due, due to a lack of transfer funds, um, they very much struck lucky, both with Moyes and then this appointment of Martinez, obviously because of what we went on to do that season. But you're absolutely right. I, I think that lack of ambition did rear its ugly head once again. Because why wouldn't you go and try and get somebody who, who's got a big profile in in the European stakes? Why wouldn't you try and think outside the outside the box a little bit? And I think what you've seen in in, in us getting Carlo Ancelotti in, in modern times that this is achievable, it's attainable. You can go and do that. And you know, lest we forget, Everton's reputation seven years ago mm. in going and getting Roberto Martinez was on a far higher pedestal than it was when we appointed Carlo Ancelotti. A few I suppose months ago. what offsets that is Everton didn't have the money to attract someone maybe of that. No. Fairly not well class hill, but maybe the, the tier below. You know, you're looking at teams like who have been challenging for European places across the continent or or in this country. Maybe you go for someone like that. I don't think Everton could have attracted a, a Carlo Angelotti no. as a figure then. But certainly no, but isn't isn't it isn't it ironic though, Matt, that we were on a much higher level than we are now. Yeah. And yet we we were, we went and got a manager that was, let's face it, probably wanted us more than we wanted him. I think, well, certainly I'm speaking as a fan. Um, 
Roberto Martinez probably couldn't believe his luck when Everton was still interested after they got relegated. That that week of his life must have been really interesting because again, <laughs> I, I maintain when he's won that FA Cup internally, and we'll have to ask him this sometime when we eventually get around to talking to him. That must have felt like right. I've secured my Premier League future in terms of a job, yeah. um, because it was quite obvious. I think even if we're going to have stayed up, he would have been off. Yeah, I think that's absolutely right. I think that's absolutely right. Yeah. yeah, and I think that's probably why he approached those games late in that season with such freedom and you know abandon because he knew well, that Arsenal game was great. Because I mean, for yeah. for three years he'd done this. This this was routine to Wigan. They go into this situation like seven or eight points adrift, and somehow you know go and get eight wins in the last eleven games and stay up, and. He, he was at the core of that, but he would throw caution to the wind. That that was the side of things, I think, Matt, that, that excited me a little bit about him, was that from an attacking standpoint, he was like, right, we're going to go for the jugular, as 13-14 will go on to prove. Yeah, and I think, let's not forget as well, his reputation was already up there, despite you know struggling with Wigan the previous years. Yeah. You know, he rejected yeah. Aston Villa in the summer of 2011. He turned down Liverpool in the summer of 2012. Yeah. So, you know, there were clubs at the time that were, you know, top-off Premier League teams, you know, Liverpool, were looking at him as, as a potential manager. So I think that when he, like I said, when he approached those games at Wigan late in the campaign, he could probably go into those and think, I'm just going to attack and be open and play free-flowing football. If it goes tits up, so be it, because, you know, Randy Lerner's is going to be on the phone or John Henry's going to be on the phone or Bill Kenwright's going to be on the phone. And I think... Well, that, that photo of him with John Henry, wasn't it? In a nice game somewhere, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, so I think, yeah, it's, it's fascinating. But um, obviously, he came in to, to get the job, and, and we'll talk about that in, in another show. But um, interesting stuff, Dave. Uh, yeah. Things things actually happening, which is nice. And, <laughs> so, We're not uh, having retrospective conversations all the time, Matt. Although I've, enjoy, I've enjoyed the, the look yeah. back seasons for Pine Tooth Co. We might have to make a, a separate show for that. Yeah, I think I think so. I think from... from the reaction we've had from everybody who listens to it, there's a real appetite for us to do that sort of thing, isn't there? Yeah, absolutely. So we'll, we'll keep that going in some shape or form. And, and it'll be Derby Chat. It'll be Derby Chat a week today. Yeah, it'll, be build, it'll be Derby Week Day. Derby Week. It's going to be so weird. Yeah. So weird. But um, yeah, thanks very much for listening. Uh, just before you wrap up, a reminder that this podcast is sponsored by our friends at Pitch Sport, who are continuing to put out lots of content during this lockdown and pandemic. And even more so now, with the build-up to the Premier League as well. Uh, download the Pitch Sports app from whatever you download or your apps on your phones. Um, I'm going to do a fan-time video straight after this podcast where I'll be asking a question about who's going to play on the right-hand side for Everton with Theo Walcott out. And uh, There's loads more of those sorts of things on there as well. So it's the Pitch Sports app. Do check it out. Thanks very much to Dave. Uh, we'll speak to you again very soon here on The Blue Room. The General Insurance presents Shower Ballads by Shaq. And I'm going to keep on Turns out, everyone does sound better in the shower. And it turns out, The General is a quality insurance company that's been saving people money for nearly 60 years. For a great low rate and nearly 60 years of quality coverage, make the right call and go with The General. The General Auto Insurance Services, Inc. Insurance Agency, Nashville, Tennessee. Some restrictions apply. Sports Social Podcast Network. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on ChumbaCasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, 
even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the chumba life. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.